we'll uh, turn over to uh, Mark chapter number nine, and we're, we've got two places we're going to turn, and uh, we will uh, we'll be done with our scripture reading. But we'll, we'll look first in in Mark chapter number nine, and I want to look in Mark nine, and then we'll go to Isaiah, and uh, and and we'll look at these these things. And as soon as we read this, we will uh, we'll flip over to Isaiah. And uh, so I'll keep both uh, verses open up here, and we'll be jumping back and forth. But I want to preach to you this morning perfected prophecy, perfected prophecy. And uh, I believe that there's no uh, better time to uh, look back at this prophecy of the old, in the Old Testament and also uh, Christ's prophecy of his, his death and burial and resurrection um, in the New Testament. So Mark chapter number 9, verse number 31, the Bible says, uh, For he taught his disciples and said unto them, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of men, and they shall kill him. And after that, he is killed. He shall rise the third day. Now, I want to notice something about Jesus. And when he prefaces his death uh, in the Bible, he does not preface his death and mention his death without also mentioning his resurrection. He doesn't stand there and say, I'm going to die without telling you that he's going to walk out of the grave. He doesn't stand there and die without telling you that there's a, there's a way out, there's an option out. It's not the end of his life. What would kill you and what would kill me does not kill Jesus. It is not the end. The, the book is not done. His death is, is not uh, the end of the story. It's the only grave that you can stand out without having some kind of hurt and ha having some kind of pain. It's the only death that you can ever hear or tell about and not feel uh, some kind of deep uh, grief inside. It's the only death that you'll ever hear about that, that is not eternal. It's the only death that when, when you and I die, although we know our spirit is forever, we know our soul will live until eternity comes, until the end of time. We know uh, that, 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 that time will not end, that time will continue on. We know that our spirit is forever. But Jesus says here that he's going to die, he's going, or he's going to be delivered to the hands of men. He, they're going to kill him. They're going to, they're, they're going to maim him. They're going to beat him. He will die. But not only will he just die, he will Walk up, get up and walk out of the grave and live again. And so over in Isaiah chapter number 53, some of my favorite text in all the word of God, uh, Isaiah 53, we'll begin reading verse number one. I'll give you a moment to get there. And I want to make this statement real quick, and I think this is, this is huge to think about. And I, I thought of this last night as I was studying. I was up way, way into the, to the darkness of night, getting my head together on some of these things. And I thought about this. Nothing proves God more than him giving man a promise and then him fulfilling it. And that, that fulfilling that promise with his power. He, he, there's nothing, nothing that proves God more than, than him giving man a promise and then him fulfilling that promise. That is, the, that is the, the proof of God's power to man. How else would we know God is who he says he is without him giving us prophecy, telling us what he's going to do, and then him going and doing it? To me, I have a hard time believing people that don't fulfill their promises to me. I have an issue with people who tell me they're going to do something, and then they don't do it. And uh, right now is the craziest time of my life. Right now is the craziest time uh, in work I've ever had. Uh, we've got some of the wildest things that you can ever imagine going on right this second, and it is just blowing my mind all that's happening, all that's going on, uh, all the people calling, all the questions that people have, and it's it's just it's killing me. It's wearing me out. I was 
so tired yesterday I didn't have any desire to get up and do anything. I didn't want to go out just because mentally I'm drained and I'm afraid there are people out there that I've said to them, I'll do this or I'll call you back or I'll do that. And I'm afraid that in a week or two I'll get a phone call and they'll be frustrated because I didn't follow through with that promise. Because I got so much going on I can't keep in my mind uh, what, what I said I'll do or who I'll call or who that I'll follow up with. And I'm afraid that I'm going to upset someone. I'm afraid I'm going to let someone down. I'm afraid that, that I'll be refunding fees and, and stepping back on my things and making apologies and, 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 and trying to figure out uh, what I did wrong and how to, how, to, how to make it right for him. But God is not like that. God makes many promises in his word and we find that there's only a few left that he's not fulfilled. And I believe if there's ever time that we, we are closer and closer to that happening, to that coming, to Christ ascending or Christ descending from heaven and coming back and taking us out of here, we are at that moment. But everything else he's ever promised, he's fulfilled. He doesn't have to have a call log. He doesn't have to keep everything in a Microsoft Word document like I have to do. He doesn't have a million and a half sticky notes with everybody's name on it telling him to call him back. Every time he's ever made a promise, he's followed through. And in Isaiah 53, he is perfecting his he's perfecting his promise from Isaiah 53 in Mark chapter number 9 on through all of the Gospels, on through the end of time. He is perfecting his promise. Now, I want us to, to, to consider how prophecy is perfected. It's perfected in, in deliverance to man. It's per perfected in his deliverance to man. In, in Mark 9, you don't have to turn back, but in Mark 9, 31, he says, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of men. Now, Isaiah 53, the Bible says in verse number 1, Isaiah 53, who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form, nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. He, uh, and, and it says, for, we, for he shall grow up as a, uh, as a tender plant. He's delivered to man. He comes up out of the ground that you wouldn't expect him to come out of. He comes up, and he grows up at, uh, from a humble birth. He comes up as, as, as this, this man that doesn't look like somebody that's come to save the world. He doesn't look like a king. He doesn't look like what uh, the, so, even some of these pictures that we see of Jesus make him look like. He's a, he's a normal old Joe. He's a plain old man. There's nothing about him that makes him look kingly. I don't think he, he came adorned with a crown on his head. He was born in a feeding trough, matter of fact. He didn't come uh, and, and in, this, in this manner uh, that we, should, we come to expect or we come to think. We think of him now as King Jesus. He wasn't born to look like King Jesus. He wasn't born to uh, to look like uh, one that would, would be living in the palace. He wasn't born to, to look like one that would come from uh, un unbelievable uh, family history. He doesn't even... Uh, it doesn't even make sense that he would come from the lineage and the family of David. But yet here he is in himself and he's delivered to people as he, as he said. And it says there in verse number 2, he says, There's no beauty that we should desire him. He's delivered to men and there's nothing about him that would make anybody look at him and say, I want to follow him. I want to be his disciple. I want to, to, to go with him. There's nothing that, about him physically that, that, that makes us just drawn to him. Now, I'm not saying Jesus was ugly. I don't think he was. He was a perfect man. I, I, he was the only perfect man. I think that if there was anybody that was ever an example of, of, of physical uh, beauty or physical per perfection, I'm sure it was Jesus. But I'm saying that, that even with that, even with all that he could, could have, even with the best way he could look, there was nothing about him that would draw man to him to follow him. 
his deliverance to man, he it says, as a root out of dry ground, as I mentioned, David. He came from the situation. We know that the prophecy, prophecy tells us that, that, the, that Jesus would come, for, the Messiah would come from the lineage of David. We know that that's what the Bible tells us. But the, but the, but the family of David had went from the palace uh, and from the parlor uh, of the king to the poorhouse. Uh, here they are. They're they're looking for somewhere somewhere. They there wasn't even even room in the inn to for for Mary to give birth to Jesus when he was born. That's not in our mind conjure. If we conjure it up in our mind, that's not the way a king would come. That's not the way that that that, that our president didn't come into the world that way. The, the leaders of the world didn't come into that way. They, they came into most of the time successful families. They came most of the time into to, to people who were, who were prosperous. Jesus didn't come into that. He was born into uh, to a country that had been uh, overtaken by Roman authority. That's a matter of fact why his family wasn't in power anymore is because of all the wars, all, the, all that was going on, all the, the overthrowing of the governments and overthrowing of the kings. And here he is. He does, he's delivered to man and doesn't look a bit like what, what man would think the Messiah would look like. I think that in our mind we think Jesus would have come, and I think that's why the Jews, uh, there was many Jews that have had a hard time accepting Jesus as he came. That's why the Sadducees and the Pharisees didn't believe and didn't like uh, him saying he was the Son of God is because he didn't roll in just literally, as, as, as some would say, as he, he didn't arrive that way. He didn't, uh, he didn't act like he arrived. He was humble. How about that, that a God would send his only son, his only begotten son, to come and live life on the earth, and he lived a perfect life, and he was humble. And he spent his time with the ungodly. He spent his time with those that would sin. And, and, and they didn't just sin. You know, we spend time with lost folk and we, well, they, they're sinners. I'm a sinner too. So, I, hey, I'm not going to look down on them. I'm a sinner too. But here's Jesus. The thing is, lost people that I'm spending my time with, trying to witness to, they're not sinning against me. They're sinning against God. And here's Jesus spending his time with the prostitutes and the harlots and the drunks and the lepers. And, and all these people, and those that were in sin, those that were in flesh, they were sinning against him. But yet, when he's delivered to man, he humbled himself. He humbled himself to want to spend time with them. That's how much he loved him. That's how, them. That's how much he loved you. That's how much he loved me. His deliverance to man, that's prophecy perfected because Jesus was born exactly as Isaiah 53 said. And, and then in verse 3, his, de, his deliverance to man, think about how man receives him. In verse 3, he's despised and he's rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Jesus was not at all accepted by the physical world, by the natural world. They didn't want him. He, was, he didn't come in the way that man thought the Messiah should come. His own people, his own lineage, his own blood didn't want him. Think about when they drag him up to, in front of the crowd to, uh, to, to convict him, trying to, as, as the desire was to crucify him. Those that were not, the, the, it was the Jews, that, the Bible made clear, it was Jews that said, crucify him, crucify him. Those parties that were not, the Gentile, the Gentiles, they hey, I don't, I can't find any fault in him. I don't know, I don't know, I don't, I don't. There's nothing about him that's uh, that's wrong. He didn't do anything wrong. 
It didn't offend them, but the Jews, the religious Jews, they didn't come the way that they thought he would. They didn't come in, in their mind the way that they thought he should. So they convicted him and they condemned him. His deliverance to man, he, he was not at all accepted by the world. He came uh, from, uh, from a humble, very humble birth, much more humble than even you or I. And there's, I'm sure, maybe some people in here born at home. Uh, way, you know, you think about years ago, I talked to my grandparents and how we drive by one spot, my papa, uh, my papa Glenn, every, we drive by the spot. He said, I was born right there, born in that house right there in that back room. The house is not there anymore, but he would talk about the house being there. And I was born in that back room. That's a that's a humble birth, you know. We're now born into uh, kids are born in hospitals, and you have all these uh, pain killers and this and that and the other and things to take your mind off what's going on as ladies. And then you think about that's a humble birth to be born at home with a midwife, and you know many people died from just giving birth. And then you think about Jesus. <laughs> Think about Jesus, the King of all creation, being born in a in a in a sty in a in a trough. How about that? That's that's the humility of Jesus. That's how his he was delivered, man. But how could he have reached those that were not uh, the 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 high class? Those that were not. How could he reach the common man? How could he reach you? How could he reach me without being born that way? Without being born a humble birth? That was his purpose. Prophecies perfected in his deliverance to man, but then prophecies perfected in his death on Calvary. And Martin 9.31 says again, And they shall kill him, and after that he is killed. And uh, The Son of Man is delivered into the hands of men, and they shall kill him. Now back over to Isaiah 53, the Bible says in verse 4, Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace uh, was upon him. And, and with his stripes we are healed. Prophecies perfected in his death on Calvary. And Jesus tells him, he says there, I'm going to die. These men that I'm delivered to, they're going to kill me. And I will die. Isaiah doesn't make any doubt about it concerning his suffering. Well, Isaiah clarifies his suffering emphasizes his suffering. Matter of fact, in that one verse, it says three forms of his suffering. Three times about his suffering. Verse 4, Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten, and afflicted. Three definitions, three explanations, three examples of his suffering. Say we're, ha we're having a bad day, I got a toothache. I'll tell you I have a, I have a toothache, but if I have a toothache and I'm having a bad day, I typically don't say I'm stricken with the toothache and I'm smitten with the toothache and I'm afflicted with the I, you know unless I'm being very dramatic the prophet's being dramatic because there was reason to be dramatic the, the, the picture of Christ on the cross is unimaginable to the human mind. I've said it many times. Those that have seen the worst of the worst, those that have uh, fought our wars and those that have seen, uh, those that work in, in police officers and paramedics and fire department and those things that, that have seen things that will, will bend and twist your mind, those that have seen the worst things human beings can do one another, those that have seen these things. If you go out and you, you look at uh, something dead on the side of the road, it can't even give you an uh, imagination of what the body of Jesus Christ 
Christ looked like. The Bible teaches us that he didn't even look like a human being anymore, that he was so beaten, he was so afflicted, he was so stricken, that, that, that his body didn't even appear as a human's body anymore. And he did that all for us and because of the love. And he had the ability to call legions and legions and legions of angels to come and literally wipe every human being standing in front of him off the face of the earth. I believe that he had the physical power to, to heal himself. I believe he could have just took himself right off that cross. He has that power because he's God, but he didn't because of the love inside. And God knew that if he didn't turn his back on his son, and, and, and could you imagine your own child laying there being nailed to a cross and saying, Father, fa why have why hast thou forsaken me? Why would you do this to me? Why would you you, you turn me away? And God, Jesus knew what he would have to do. He knew that it required that requirement was for, for him to die, to for, for us to be saved, but to think that God would turn his back on him because God knows, and it goes back to what I just said there a minute ago, that nothing proves him more than fulfilling his promises. Nothing shows that he's God more than him doing what he said he would do and, 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 and showing up. That's the only way, the world we live in today, that's the only way that we have that proof is believing. This is something that happened 2,000 years ago. And we're sitting here this morning in uncertain times. We don't know what's going to happen. We know that the, our community is concerned. We know that our community uh, right now, and I don't know what their intentions are, but right now our county is standing against uh, even worshiping in your car with your window rolled up. With uh, You can put a mask on your car, and, and you couldn't have church right this second. I'm not going to get in, get into that, but we're living in uncertain times. But we've got hope that 2,000 years ago, the, the death on the cross of Calvary paid for our sins, your sins. This situation doesn't mean anything to God. It's just another day. It's just another situation. It's just another this, another that. But I believe it's up to us to take this time and say, God, I'm going to submit to you and I'm going to believe what you've told me in your word. I don't care if it was 2,000 years ago. If I can't believe it, what's, what, what's the worth? What's the point of wasting my time, wasting your time coming to church if we can't believe it, if we can't make it real? And that's the key. So many people can't make it real to them that, hey, Christ perfected prophecy in his deliverance to man. He was born exactly as Isaiah said he would be born. But then his death on Calvary perfected prophecy because he was afflicted. He was stricken. He was smitten. Verse 5, he was, but he was wounded for our transgressions. Man, how, how, what is that to think about that? How does that affect your heart? How does that affect you? That, that the sin, and, and the thing is, we're born. We're just born with sin. Is what, it, what the, the truth of the matter is we're just born with sin. We can't help it. We just wake up in the morning and we're flesh. The day I came into this world, I was born into sin. That little child that, I've, that, that God's blessed me and show me with, the day that that child's born, it's a sinful, fleshly being. As beautiful and as cute and as cuddly as that little thing could be, it's flesh. And the day that that child's born... Because of that flesh, it's appointed to die. It will start dying from the day it's born. And I want it to see, because we don't know, when that child is 10, 15, 20 years old, what things will look like, what church will look like. Our country may very well be about, be like what some of these other countries look like and how they are. So well, I won't let that happen. Well, American people, they, we have a tendency to stand up for things. And even when we get a little lazy sometimes, I think we're fighters. But I'll tell you what. To, to, to honor the Lord and live for God and do right. Sometimes we can get, our, we can get ourselves in a situation we would never imagine. We would never think that, that somebody could walk in and tell us we couldn't have church this morning and that we would have to, to honor it. That's a scary thing. That's a scary thought. But die, Christ died on the cross, and we have hope 
that, hey, somebody may walk in and do that. We may have to go home. We may have to do this podcast only. We may have to do drive through We may have to do this. We may have to do that. But Christ died for it all. Christ suffered through it all. And he perfected his promise and he hung upon that cross for it all, for us, for you, for me. He knew this was going to happen. He knew what's going to happen. He knows what's going to happen tomorrow. And he knows that that little child that's born one day will grow into where they'll make their own choices, make their own decisions, and they'll sin. And not only will it just be my transgressions that held Christ upon the cross, but it will be the transgressions of my child and the children that are not even born and the children that that child will have. God knew that, that, that it's these, there's too much sin for the law to continue to work. There's, and the law wasn't, there wasn't anything wrong with the law. It was what's wrong with man. Man couldn't fulfill that law, but Christ could. And those transgressions, that held Christ upon the cross. I can't, I can't imagine, I can't think about the, the sin, the amount of sin. If you think about sin as a whole, the amount of sin that Christ took upon his back. He took up, took up the sin of Adam and Eve. He took up that sin, the initial sin, the first sin. There's sin going on right now. There's somebody somewhere doing wrong. I'd say right, you know, right now, I'm, hey, I'm feeling pretty good. I feel the spirit. I feel good. I feel like I'm, you know, God's will. I'm preaching to you what he's put on my heart. But I can walk out the door and be in sin. That's just flesh. There's sin happening up the road, down the street, and Christ hung on the cross for that sin. The sin that will happen tomorrow, the sin that will happen in an hour, the sin that will happen in a week. I think that well, that's what we get past, and that's what we skip over on Easter morning. It's good to, to think about uh, what, you know, that Christ died and he got up off the cross, but we are so quick to forget what put him on the cross. I want to live a better life because it was me and it was my sin that put him on that cross. What a waste that it would be to think that this opportunity of salvation is in front of us and we turn away. We turn away that, that promise of, of forever, that promise of eternity. Christ already died thousands of years ago. He already got up and he already walked out. We know the whole story. But is it real? Is it true to us? Is my sin real to me? Or is it just, oh man, I sinned. Lord, forgive me. God, take that sin from me. We should ask for repentance out of a, out of a godly heart. I don't think repentance from a heart that's not godly is, is, even, is even worth making. But repenting out of a godly heart and saying, Lord, forgive me. I, I don't want to do this again. I probably will. Because I'm sinful, I'm flesh, but I don't want to, to, I want to live right. I want to live like I don't want Christ taking on that cross for me. And we'll never make that happen, but I want to try. His death on Calvary is prophecy perfected. Verse 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before his shears is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgression of my people. Was he stricken? How about that? To think about prophecy being fulfilled in, in, in the trial of Christ. You think about the trial of Christ recorded in the Gospels. And then the prophecy in Isaiah, it's, it's to a T. You can see it so clearly. There was a problem of sin and God made his son an offering for sin. Jesus literally became sin on the cross. And I'd say that's prophecy perfected. 
if Jesus had been a fraud, I don't think he'd have been hanging on the cross asking God, Lord, why am I in this situation? Why, why did this happen to me? I think he would have been saying, get me down from here. I've lied to everyone. I've told you all the wrong stuff. If he was a fraud, Calvary wouldn't have went as it went. But if he was a fraud, resurrection morning wouldn't have went as it went. And prophecies perfected finally in deliverance from the grave. Mark 9.31, we'll go back there again. Mark 9.31, the Son of Man is delivered unto the hands of men, and they shall kill him, and after that he's killed, he shall rise the third day. It says, they are the resurrection, the, 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 the fulfillment of prophecies finally perfected in deliverance from the grave. It says in Isaiah, we'll go back to think there in verse number 9, and he made his grave with the wicked. This is another, I love the, the truth from verse number 9. He's made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Think about that man Jesus, or that, that man Joseph, the rich man Joseph that, that allowed Jesus to borrow his tomb. And to think about how that even a little detail like that is fulfilled in Scripture. Joseph a wealthy man comes to him. Joseph was first, he was flesh. But then he was, he was not only flesh, but he was a rich man. And he fulfills this prophecy in Isaiah that, that says that he'll make his grave with a wicked, that's the flesh, with a rich man. You say, well, that's just a little detail, but it's truth. It's prophecy fulfilled. He goes on to say in verse 10, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him he, he hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall pro prolong his days, and, he shall, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul and, she, and shall be satisfied by his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide his spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressions. When Jesus, Jesus multiple times tells his disciples, not only will he just die, but he will arise and walk from the grave. That's prophecy perfected in the fact that, that you'll find him, you'll find in, in the prophet saying, in verse number 10, he shall prolong his days. He shall prolong his days. I don't know about you, but there's no power that I have. If I died right this second, nothing that I could do could prolong my days. I could, nothing I can physically conjure up in myself can make me get up and walk out of the grave. But Jesus can. That's the power because he's God made man. And when Isaiah says that he shall prolong his days, that is so clear to me that that is prophecy being fulfilled in his deliverance from the grave. That's what this, you know, we recognize this day, Easter, and we're, we're thankful for that. But it shouldn't be every day that we think about Christ walk from the grave. And I'm not saying I do. I'm saying as I challenged with the thought, Lord willing, some time ago, that I would be someone that lived more Lord willing, Lord willing, I get up and go. Lord willing, Lord willing, Lord willing. I would want to challenge myself today and maybe challenge you to live 
thinking about Christ's deliverance from the grave. I've got a risen Savior. And that song, He Lives, as we sung this morning. That was on my heart when I, I, was, I was humming that tune before you requested us to sing that song. That song was on the table of my heart this morning. He lives, He lives. Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me, talks with me along life's narrow way. What a beautiful song. He does live. And I tell you what, it makes these things that go on in the world seem so small that he lives. Revelation, I think about <laughs> Revelation 1, verse 18. Think about Jesus, and you think about John and their interaction in Revelation. I know we've been reading, reading through Revelation, but this is long after Christ's ascension to heaven in Acts. Here in Revelation, he says to John in verse 1, 18, I am he that liveth and was dead. That goes back to the prophecy. So we've seen the Old Testament prophecy. We've seen the gospel prophecy. And then we see the, pro, the, the truth and the, the solidifying of God doing what he said and Jesus doing what he said here in Revelation. He says, I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. That's where he says he, he will prolong his days. Jesus has that power. I, will, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. What kind of power? That's no, no power that I can, I can get together. I couldn't get a big enough army to get the keys to death, hell, and the grave. But he did. And prophecies perfected in those three things. And his deliverance to man, he came exactly as the Old Testament would say. He died exactly as the Old Testament would say. He arose exactly as the Old Testament would say. He came exactly as Jesus said he would come. He died exactly as he said he would die. And he arose exactly as he said he would arise. Then you find in Revelation, all over again, Jesus in his glorified spiritual being. You find there, uh, right before what we read there in Mark, you find the transfiguration of Jesus. And you find where it says in there, and I'm not going to go read there for a second time, but you find where he says, where, where he, he's actually robed in white. That's the power of Jesus. That's his perfected self. That's his, his unbelievable power. There ain't no amount of bleach that can do that. You can't throw that in a washing machine and, and, and get that pure, get that white. That's, that's his power within. I can't do that. You can't do that. But it's the blood of Christ, and it's him proving what he said he was going to do by doing it. It's him doing that that allows us to be a part of his family. I think of that power. That's unbelievable power to me. I can't... I can't make it happen. You can't make it happen. Only Jesus can make it happen. I pray in this time of craziness and uncertainty, I've, I've got a burden for lost people. I've, I've, I've felt guilty because I've not done as I should in my, my witnessing and things of that nature. I pray God will help me with that. I pray that I, I look at people a little more like Christ would intend. Look at them like they need a Savior just like I needed a Savior. I can't save him, but I've got one within. I'll pass you off to him. <laughs> He'll take care of you. Does anyone have anything?